Well, good morning, Stones family. Go ahead and grab a Bible turn to Psalm 23. We are uh, currently in a series called Living in the Overflow. And if you're new, we are really just talking about the goodness of God. And my prayer for you for this series is that your eyes would be opened to the goodness of God, that you would, that you would trust in the goodness of God, and that you would walk in uh, the goodness of God every day. And so uh, we've been looking at Psalm 23, and this is the third week of the series uh, it's a 12-week series, so I'm going to do something a little bit different with it. Uh, we're going to spread it out over the course of this entire year. So we're going to come back, we're going to interrupt the series, and we're going to come back um, in June and do, and do uh, weeks 4, 5, and 6, and then we're going to do 7, 8, and 9 later in the fall, and then 10, 11, and 12 uh, next winter, because I really want to keep the goodness of God in front of us as a congregation, so you, so that you can be encouraged and strengthened in your faith. So, um, now that means that next Sunday we are launching a new series, and uh, I'm calling it the I Am series, and we're going to be looking at um, the I Am statements that Jesus made in the Gospel of John. They are incredibly profound. The implications for our lives are absolutely huge. So we're going to begin that week, that series next week, and it's going to lead us right into Easter. So don't uh, miss uh, the upcoming series, I Am Jesus in His Own Words. So everybody get it? Very good. All right. Now, let me just kind of frame the goodness of God for us this morning. All right. Let me just kind of set this up uh, this way. So the Bible says that God's mercies are new every morning. So you receive millions and millions of mercies literally every single morning. So God opens up his floodgates and pours his goodness into your life every single day. Let me give you some examples. So right now, planet Earth is spinning on its axis about 1,000 miles per hour right now. So we are, we are spinning on planet Earth. Not only that, but the planet Earth is moving about 66,000 miles per hour through space. All of that's happening right now. Now question, why aren't we getting dizzy right now? We should be, right? Why, sh why aren't we getting dizzy? Well, here's the answer. It's pretty simple, because of the goodness of God. Because God knows exactly what we need. He knows we don't need to be dizzy. And uh, so he created us in such a way where we're not dizzy. Now, if you're feeling ever, you ever feeling bad about yourself, you're, you're like you didn't get anything done today, you know what I mean? You're going to travel 1.6 million miles in space today. So just feel good about yourself that if you don't get anything else done, you at least got that. How about this one? You're going to take 23,000 breaths today. 23,000 breaths. Your heart is going to beat about 100,000 times uh, today, and your heart is going to circulate five quarts of blood over 100,000 miles of veins, capillaries, and arteries. Now think about that. All of that to say is your life is an absolute miracle. We don't even know how all of that works. With our vast knowledge of medicine and the physical body, we don't even know all the intricacies and details of how all of that works, and yet all of it is a reflection of the goodness of God in your life. And I haven't even started to talk about what Jesus has done for us. Can I get an amen to that? And so the reality is 
is that God's goodness is around us every single day. And so really what I want us to do is have our eyes wide open to it so that we can see it and trust in it and understand it and walk in it. Now, what I want to do today is I want to talk to you about how the goodness of God provides rest for us. Generally speaking, we are, we are a nation of workaholics. We're really good at working hard. We're not as good at resting. And so, um, and so let me just give you a little bit of a quiz. And I want to kind of see, I want you to see where you are. You don't have to respond uh, to this in any way, but just think about it. And let me just throw some questions, kind of see where you are. Uh, are you always in a hurry? Is your to-do list uh, always unrealistically long? Mine pretty much, yes. Do, do you use your day off to catch up on your unfinished work? Okay, yeah, now there's elbows going everywhere here. Um, has more than one person ever told you to slow down? Yep, yeah, me too. And then do you feel guilty when you relax? Yeah. Uh, that, might, that might be signs that we are, uh, we are struggling in this whole area of rest. Now, the fact of the matter is that God considers rest just as, as important as work. And I think a lot of us have a misconception that God is only pleased with us when we're, when we're working and when we're praying and when we're doing something spiritual. And what I want to share with you today is that God smiles at you when you rest. He smiles on you when you sleep. And so if you have children and you've kind of peeked in on your kids when they're taking a nap, you know, you've experienced the joy of just being able to watch your kids rest and sleep. You've experienced that. And God feels the exact same way about you when you sleep. In fact, some of you are sleeping right now and God is smiling <laughs> on you. Um, now what's, um, what Psalm 23 does, and we're going to read it in just a moment, but what it does is it paints for us the picture of the good shepherd. So it's, all, it's really all about the goodness of God. And, and so what it does, what a shepherd does for us, we talked about this last week, but a shepherd feeds and leads and meets needs. And the good shepherd of our soul understands that one of our greatest needs is for rest. And so that's what we're going to kind of talk about today. So I'm going to invite you, if you're willing, willing and able, would you stand together as we read the word of God this morning. So Psalm 23, a psalm of David, the Lord is my shepherd, he writes, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. And surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is God's word for God's people. You may be seated. I really want us to kind of zero in on verse 2 today where he's talking about he makes us lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside still water. So you have this imagery of green pastures, you have this imagery of still waters. And I think these, imagery, this, these images really are communicating to us or they represent two things for us. They represent rest and refreshment. That's, where, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about how 
how God provides for us rest and refreshment. He is so good, he gives that to us. And so I heard one pastor say it like this, to give God my best requires rest. That the difference between being blessed and being stressed is often rest. That's a great line. Now notice this phrase, he says, he makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside still waters. The, things that, the thing that jumped out about me about that verse is the, all the action is on God. This is what God does. We're not doing anything. This is what he does for his sheep. That's how good he is. He makes us lie down and he leads us beside still waters. I love that imagery because we're going to talk about how God, first of all, prescribes refreshment for us. He prescribes refreshment for us. It's like he writes a script. Take it. You need refreshment. And then he provides rest. That's what I want us to look at today. He prescribes refreshment and he provides rest. Let's look at the first one. He prescribes refreshment. He says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, I think when I was thinking about this, I was just kind of meditating on it. Green pastures really represents food represents nourishment for our souls, right? So, he, so he's going to lead the sheep to green pastures so that they can graze, so that they can be nourished. And he's going to make them lie down. So the green pastures is really uh, food or nourishment, and then the lying down is just leisure time. And so I think what he's pointing us to is this, that David is pointing us to the refreshment that comes from the Sabbath of God and the Word of God. He is, he is pointing us to the Sabbath of God and the Word of God. Let's just talk about the Sabbath of God. So, so you know that the Sabbath is, is a command of God where he ordains for his people to take one day off every seven days. You see this in Exodus chapter 20 where Moses writes, he says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, for in six days the Lord made the heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he made it holy. Now let me just, let me just kind of share with you a couple of things I want you to notice about this. The first thing is this, that this is so important. God's prescription for refreshment is so important it made his top ten list. That's the first thing. That's how important this is. It made God's top 10 list in the 10 commandments. Not only that, but in this commandment, twice in the passage, God, God mentions or Moses mentions that God has worked, you know, six days and then on the seventh day, he took a rest. Now, question, does God get tired? No, he doesn't get tired. But he's doing it to model for us what he wants us to do. And so that's what he's alluding to. So God is commanding for his people to take the Sabbath, to rest one day um, out of every week. And so I think there are three reasons why God does this. We'll see these in Scripture. First of all, the reason why we need to Sabbath is because it reminds us that God is the point of our lives. It reminds us that God is the point of our lives. Church, listen to me, okay? This is the most difficult thing for us as Americans, me especially, to grab a hold of, okay? Here it is. I'm going to lay it on you. We were not made to accomplish things. 
we were made to walk and love and delight in God. That's why we're made. We're not made to accomplish things, to achieve things. Achieving things and accomplishing things are really good, but that's not our primary purpose in life. Our primary purpose, he created us to love and delight in him. And what happens is we get so busy, we get, we get so busy with the tyranny of life that it causes us to disconnect from this purpose. And it leads us straight to misery. And so what this simply means is that God wants for his people to take one day to simply be and not to do. That's what he wants. He wants us to, to just call a time out where we're not looking to perform, we're not looking to achieve, we're not looking to check off something on a list. He just simply wants us to enjoy him and to enjoy relationships and to enjoy his creation. And so we need a Sabbath to remind us that God is the point of our lives. But secondly, we, we have the Sabbath to remind us that God is the provider of our lives. He is the provider of our lives. Now, this is more, you know, more for ancient Israel. When you, when you kind of think about the Sabbath for them, it was extremely inconvenient for them to take one day off. I know it is for us, but it was even more inconvenient for them because their lives really were, were really, their survival was really more day to day and season to season than our survival is. Have you thought about that? Like every single day in their life, in their existence, in their world, they had to draw water every single day. They had to go harvest crops every single day. Their survival, you know, required that. And so for them to cut their productivity down by one-seventh could make the difference in life or death. You guys following me on that? And so, and so really no other society did this in their day. No other society took a day off and rested. But God prescribed it for his people because he wanted, that, wanted to remind them that at the end of the day, it was his responsibility to provide for their needs, not theirs. And so he had them cut their productivity down by one-seventh to give him the space to work in their lives and for them to see it. And it was God's promise to the people of Israel that if you, if you will work six days, I guarantee you will get more done in six days than you will in seven because I will be working for you. And so while they rested, God was at work for them that they're to meet their needs and to take care of them. And so God wanted to remind his people he is the provider of all that they have. What a great lesson um, for us. Now, let's just kind of talk, let's just drill down on this just a little bit. You know, God has set up the world uh, to work in such a way that we provide for ourselves by natural means, okay? So this is how God has set up the world. We provide for ourselves by natural means. He says, you shall labor six days. He wants us to labor six days, because that's going to that's going to provide for our needs, okay? And so we know that paychecks don't just magically appear in our checking account. Can I get an amen to that? They don't just magic. Wow, look at that! Another deposit from God today. Uh, it doesn't just happen that way. We have to work for it, and then we get paid. And so that's how that's how we are provided for, and that's how that's the way God set it up. But because of that, it's easy for you and me to think 
oh, I'm the source of all that I have. You guys following me? It's easy to fall into the trap of thinking, I am my provider. I'm the source of all that I have. And that's not true. God is the provider. It is his responsibility to provide for us. And so he says, I want you to take a day off just so that you can be mindful of the fact that I'm working for you. You see, really, Sabbath is a declaration of trust. It's a declaration of faith that says, God, while I am resting, I'm going to allow you to work. And he does. Let me show you another, another passage on the Sabbath. This is Deuteronomy 5. So it's the other set of Ten Commandments, but it's, it's worded in a different way here. Notice, notice how this is worded. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy. As the Lord your God commanded you, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. So now he's bringing them back to there's, he's bringing them back to the Exodus. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. See that? Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath. I think what he's doing here is he's giving us the third reason why we need the Sabbath. And that is to remind us that God is our Savior. Because you see, he's not talking about in this passage that God you know, worked six days and took a day off. He's telling them, I want you to take a day off to be, to be reminded that I am the one who delivered you from, from Egypt, from slavery. And I did it with my mighty arm and my outstretched hand. That God accomplished their deliverance from sin and slavery all by himself. Get this, Israel didn't lift a finger. They, they didn't lift a finger. All they did was complain about it the whole time, right? But God is the one who saved them and delivered them from slavery. And so you see this emphasized in verse 15 where it says this, the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. You see the emphasis on what is on what God did for them, that he delivered them. And so they had nothing to do with it. It wasn't like God told them, you know, during the 10 plagues in Exodus, why don't you guys go catch as many locusts as you can and hold them together, and then on the count of three, we'll just release them all together, you know. He, they didn't do that, you know. Uh, Moses didn't tell the people on the banks of the Red Sea, now you guys blow on the water over here really hard, and you guys blow over here, and then we're going to walk through. He, did, he didn't do that. God just delivered them, and so that's the emphasis. That's why we need Sabbath, to, to remember that God is the point, God is the provider, and God is our Savior. Now listen, church, listen to me. When you begin to reflect on that, that God is the point of our lives, that he's the provider of our lives, and he is the Savior of our, of our lives, you begin to experience internal rest. You really do. You begin to experience it because you begin to see all that God has done to provide for you. Now, when we ignore the Sabbath, what happens is we, we immediately kick in and start thinking, well, you know, my self-worth is based on my net worth, or if it's going to be, it's up to me, or I just need to try harder. I just need to do more. I just need to be better so that I'll have God's favor in my life. Those are all lies, and they wear us out. They wear us out. Now, so that's the Sabbath of God. Let, let me just talk briefly about the Word of God because the Word of God brings refreshment as well, all right? So because what we're saying is we're saying God prescribes refreshment. 
And where does that come from? It comes from the Sabbath of God, but it comes from the Word of God. In other words, we have the Bible as life to our souls. That's, that's what he's talking about when he's pointing us to green pastures, that the good shepherd leads us to be fed and nourished, and we need physical food to be nourished physically, and we need spiritual food to be nourished spiritually. Jesus said it like this, you know, men and women do not live by bread alone, but on every word, every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so the Bible is often called milk, it's often called bread, it's often called solid food, and it is our sweet dessert. That is the word of God for us. That is a four-course meal for your spiritual growth and your spiritual nourishment. Peter recognizes this in 1 Peter 2.2. He says, like newborn infants, I want you to long for the pure spiritual milk that it that it." that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. So there's a connection. You taste his goodness and then you crave more of that goodness in the milk which grows you into salvation. And so the bottom line is, is that we need a regular intake of the word of God into our lives so that we can be reminded that God is good. I love this Charles Spurgeon quote. I I know I probably quote him too much, but um, he said it like this. He says, a Bible that is falling apart probably belongs to someone who isn't. I love that. And so if your life's falling apart, maybe you're not getting fed. And you need more than one meal a week. You need a meal every single day. All right. So that's God's prescription for refreshment. But I want to share with you, it gets even better from here. Because number two, God provides rest for us. Well, let me show you, let me show you this. Notice how David puts it. He says this, he leads me beside still waters. So that imagery there is all about rest. So he's just talking about the good shepherd takes the flock and he steers the flock. He, he leads the sheep to places of rest where they can, they can water and they can lie down and they can just rest. Now, obviously, I think he's talking about on one level, physical rest. But I also think on a whole nother level, he's talking about spiritual rest. Now you're like, well, where do you get that from? Well, I get it from the book of Hebrews. Because what's interesting is in the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews takes this whole concept of Sabbath that we've just been talking about. And he basically makes the point in Hebrews that that everything related to the, to the Sabbath is simply a shadow that points to Christ. That's what he's going to say. Let me, let, me give you, let me give you a flavor for this. This is Hebrews 4, verses 8 through 10. So the writer of Hebrews says this, For if Joshua, and that was Moses' successor, had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever's entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. All right, now there's a couple of things I want you to notice here. He's he's really talking about how Moses and Joshua instituted the Sabbath, but he's saying this, that the Sabbath was not ultimate rest. 
that there is an ultimate rest that they that the Sabbath points to, and the ultimate rest that it points to is Jesus Christ. That's, that's the point of Hebrews. Now, let me just develop this a little bit for you. I know we're kind of going fast, but basically it's this principle. Jesus is our Sabbath rest, church. And let me give you three practical ways that he is our Sabbath rest. Number one, Christ is my righteousness. He is my Sabbath rest because ultimately Jesus is my righteousness. And the main way that Christ is our Sabbath rest is through his death on the cross, which saves us, which forgives us. And he did it all by himself. He did it all by himself. We didn't help him. Look at 1 Corinthians 1.30. Paul's writing to the Corinthians and he tells, he he says this, he says, and because of him, that's Jesus, and because of Jesus, you are in Christ Jesus. So Jesus did something to make you in him who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption so so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Now, what I want you to notice is this. What he's talking about there is this. The work of Christ enabled us to enter into Christ. And Christ is our redemption. He's our sanctification. He's our wisdom. And he is our righteousness. So this is, I mean, this is absolutely mind-boggling. He even underscores it by saying, look, if you're going to boast in anything, then the only thing you can boast in is in the Lord because he did it. You didn't do it. Christ did it, and you're in Christ, and so Christ did it. If you're going to boast, boast in the Lord. Now, there's a word that we have, it's kind of a theological word that we have that kind of simplifies this for us today, and it's just justification. And justification just means to be made right. Justification means that God, that God dealt with our sin. He not only forgives our sin, but he actually makes us righteous, which is amazing. You know, when someone goes to court in the United States, a person that goes to court and they're, they're, there's a verdict rendered to them, they're never, the verdict is never innocent. The verdict is either guilty or not guilty, but you're never declared innocent. It's just guilty or not guilty. But justification is so scandalous in its grace That God not only forgives our sin, church, but in justification, he declares us as righteous. Like God looks at us as if we've never sinned. It is God looks at us just as if we have never sinned. That's amazing. Because what a lot of us do is we kind of focus on our past and we wear the guilt and the shame of the past. And God's looking at you like you're a child of God. You've been declared righteous. And so that's why at the cross, Jesus says, it is finished. It is finished because he accomplished it and you didn't. He didn't hang on the cross and say, well, I got things started. Now through your own effort, you need to finish it all up. No, he hung on the cross and said, it is finished. And you are declared righteous in him. That is absolutely amazing. And so God sees the end product of the work that he has started in us. And that's how he views us as children of God. That means 
that the righteousness I have is the righteousness of Christ as I grow in righteousness every single day. Now let me take you back to Hebrews 4.10 because I want to I want to deal with this. I don't want to lose lose this because this is interesting. Look at Hebrews 4.10. He says, For whoever has entered this rest, this God, the, whoever's entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Now, this doesn't mean we stop doing good works. We were created to do good works. It just means that we cease to do good works as a means of achieving salvation. That's what it means. So now we're actually free to do good works. We're free to let them flow out of us because Christ is our Sabbath rest. Christ is our righteousness. That is absolutely amazing. I wish I had more time on that. But there's a second way that he is our Sabbath rest. Christ is my identity. Christ is my identity. Now, church, I want you to, I want, I want you to lean forward on this and listen to this. Do you know what the number one issue in our society is right now? It's not COVID-19. It's not anything political. The number one issue in our society right now is identity. That is it. That is the source of all the political division, the social media division, the economic division, the, the racial division, the political, all of it. It's the source of all of it. The question of identity. It is the, no, we talk about it all the time, but we never talk about it. It's just kind of funny. It's just the, the current in our culture. Now, what is identity? I, identity is how a person answers the question, who am I? And so in America, we answer that question a lot of different ways. It's all about your sexuality or your gender or your you know, Republican Party or your Democratic Party or whatever party you're, you're a part of or how much money you make or how much education you have or whatever. That, that's, those are the things that we gravitate to to answer this whole question of identity. But church, can I just submit to you that do you know what the Bible says about your identity? It's none of those things. Your identity, your primary identity, you're sons and daughters of God. You are loved by God. Church, what God has done for us in Jesus Christ is he took us as slaves and as orphans and aliens and he adopted us as sons and daughters of God. We didn't deserve it, we, don't, we didn't work for it, and we didn't achieve it. That is simply who we are. We are loved by God. That is our identity. We are sons and daughters of God. And so I really think that as, human, as humans, we, we have this deep sense of unworthiness. We have this deep sense of, you know, of shame, and it's a result of sin that's and brokenness that's inside of us. It goes all the way back to Adam and Eve in the fall. And so when Adam and Eve sinned, they realized that they were naked and they were ashamed. Before the fall, they were naked and not ashamed. What was the difference? Well, before the fall, Adam and Eve were clothing themselves in the love of God. After the fall, that became in question because of their sin and their rebellion. 
And so they started looking for a lot of different ways to clothe themselves, to clothe that unworthiness and to clothe that, you know, that shame. And so we, we look for it and we labor for it in so many different ways, through our sports teams or, you know, through, you know, politics, through whatever it is. We're trying so many ways to look for identity markers that we can cling to that make us feel worthy and significant. But I'm just here to tell you, you need not look any farther than the gospel of Jesus Christ because that is the sign of God's defining love for you and your identity. And it is incredibly freeing. You know, there's a classic movie, uh, Chariots of Fire, and it's the story of Eric Little, the Olympic runner in 1924. And uh, he's a very strong Christian, uh, Eric Little was, and he, he made this comment that, that uh, he runs for the glory of God. And when he runs, he feels God's pleasure when he runs. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? That he runs for the glory of God. Like he, he, everything he does, he, he does it for the glory of God. And when he runs, he actually feels God's smile on his life. Well, there is... There's the counter hero in the story, Harold Abrams. And he was being asked about his Olympic event and he said this, he said, I have 10 lonely seconds to justify my whole existence. In other words, he's basing, basing his entire identity and self-worth and value on whether or not he can win the race. That's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure. And so really the bottom line of this is this. You can live for the glory of God or you can live to justify yourself. And if you live to justify yourself, you will never rest. You will never rest. You will always be working, always be churning. And so the gospel says that your identity is in the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. You are king's kids. That is, that is your identity. You know, some of you've heard my story about this where really over the last five to six years, I, I, I really came to a place of discovering the grace of the gospel of this, that, that I was, I grew up in my life thinking sports was my reason for existence and proving and justifying myself. And then, it, and then it morphed and changed to trying to be a successful pastor. And, um, and I was just chasing that, thinking that's what I needed to feel like a person of significance and worth. And I came to understand, I came to realize through, the, through God's word that, that it was the cross that defines me. And that, and that for the first time I could really be at rest. And so I'm learning how to do that more and more each day. And so um, it's incredibly freeing when you experience it. And it's the reality of who God has made us. I like how Tim Keller says it. He says, he says apart from Christ, you're going to work even while you're resting. But with Christ, you're going to rest even while you're working. I love that. And then lastly, Christ is our Sabbath rest because Christ is my security. He's my security. You know, God told Israel, he said, he said, if I've rescued you, even though you were helpless slaves, how much more will I take care of you now that you're my sons and daughters? I got this, he says. I'm going to take care of you. 
Therefore, I'm your security. I'm your security. Now, in the early church, the Sabbath shifted. So when Jesus was resurrected on that, on that first Lord's Day, on that resurrection Sunday, the Sabbath shifted from Saturday, which was what it was in ancient Israel, to Sunday. And, and, so, and so really, it, for the early church, it was about remembering the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so on that day, the people of God were called to rest and reflect on the resurrection power of Jesus to, to reflect on if God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him give us everything else? Now, if you'll just take an hour today and just think about that, you will experience the Sabbath rest of Christ. And so in that, Christ is my security. In that, I know that I have God's love and God's care. Now, let me just kind of close this way because I know I've thrown a lot at you this morning. Let me, let me just give you just some practical ways to find rest in Christ. All right, just three very practical ways. Uh, number one, I would say you need a weekly Sabbath. You need a weekly Sabbath. You need to limit your work to six days a week and then take a day of rest. You can do this as a student. You can do it as a stay-at-home mom with some limitations. But, uh, um, you know, you need a day off where you are just kind of resting. It doesn't have to be Sunday, but you need a day. You need a day where you do this. And so Sunday has traditionally been that day. Uh, throughout throughout church's history. And so what you do is you enjoy God, you enjoy relationships, you enjoy creation, you have fun, you rest, and then you remember what God has done for you. So we need a weekly Sabbath. Secondly, I would challenge us to have a daily Sabbath. And what I mean by a daily Sabbath is we need to be reminded that God is the point of our lives, that God is the provider of our lives, and that God is the savior of our lives. I, I, I really don't spend time with God's word and in prayer because I'm trying to earn points with God. I, I'm, I'm doing it because I'm trying to remind myself that God has given me everything I needed because I forget. So you need a few minutes every day where you are drawing from the bread of the word of God, that you are drawing on the presence of of Christ, your Sabbath rest. You need that every single day. It may be in the morning for you. It may be over lunch. It may be at night. It just, whenever is best for you. And then thirdly, I would say this, church, you need a yearly Sabbath. You need a yearly Sabbath. And by this, I mean a family vacation. You need some time where you can disconnect for a longer period of time. Now, I'm not talking about, you, you know, you got to spend a lot of money and go to Tahiti. Although if you want to do that, that's great. Uh, I'm available to be your chaplain on that too, so just let me know. Uh, but you need, you need yearly time as a family where you pull back and regroup and renew and refresh and re-energize. And um, you need that to look forward to that. Uh, you need it to draw on after you've experienced it. And so I would encourage you, Sabbath is very much a part of what it means to be a Christian because Jesus is our Sabbath. That's what he is. Um, now let me, just, let me just close with this. What statement do you need to embrace the most today? Christ is my righteousness, number one. 
Christ is my identity, number two, or Christ is my security, number three. Which one for you? That he is my righteousness. I don't have to earn it. He earned it for me. That he is my identity. That I am loved in him. And he is my security. He will take care of me. Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, we thank you that you are the good shepherd and you lay down your life for your sheep. And so God, we just give you praise for that. We give you, we give you glory for that. We, we confess we don't even understand the depths of your love and grace for us, but we are thankful. And so we just come and Lord, I ask that you would open our eyes to your goodness for how you have really provided and prescribed for us the rest and refreshment that we need. Thank you for the ultimate rest that we have in you and through your shed blood. God, we long for the day that we're home in glory. We long for the day, well, till that, that work that you've started in us is completed and finished. And so God, we, we just give you praise. And so, Lord, I ask that you would just reveal to us the rest of your grace. That even while we're working, we know our hearts are at rest because we've been justified. We've been made right. We've been declared righteous. God, I just pray that in this workaholic, exhausting world that we live in, that we would just draw closer to you. And so we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.